You're listening to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. Welcome to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Bishop. Thanks for tuning in. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. I'm glad that you are hanging out with us because each week I invite a guest onto the show to talk about a topic that is meant to be a catalyst for growth in our lives, to spark ideas, get unstuck, and gain new insights that compel us to action as we journey together to play full out and live fully into who we were created to be. Hey, thanks to all of you who have shared this podcast with your friends. And a reminder that when you listen, leave comments and reviews because when you review the podcast, it gains more visibility to others. Well, on the show today, I have invited Felina Hewart to share insight from her book, Pilgrimage of the Soul, Contemplative Spirituality for the Active Life. We will learn how contemplative practice deepens our relationship with and experience of God and is essential for people who want to grow in their faith. In addition to being an author, Felina's work includes public speaking, teaching and writing on contemplative spirituality, facilitation of contemplative retreats, and spiritual direction. She holds a master's of Christian Spirituality from Creighton University's Department of Theology and is a certified spiritual director in the Ignatian Contemplative Evocative Method. She and her husband Chris founded Gravity in 2012 to make contemplative practice accessible to individuals, communities, and organizations. Well, Alina, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Lisa. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, thanks so much for hanging out with us. As we talked a little bit earlier before uh, the podcast, the contemplative practice and contemplative prayer, which is something we'll talk about um, in just a handful of minutes, is something that God has really laid on my heart and I've been dabbling with uh, for a little while. So I'm just grateful uh, for your wisdom that you're going to share with us today. Thanks. It's really wonderful. I hope I can be of help. You will be. Well, as I was reading your book and underlining like a mad woman, um, the very first part of your book, actually in the foreword, Shauna Nequist wrote, uh, and she says this, I just want to quote her because I think it sets this conversation up well. She says, in the last several years of my life, God has used spiritual practices like centering prayer, silence, solitude, and Sabbath to enrich, in many ways, rebuild my interior spiritual landscape. She goes on to say that for many years, my central spiritual practice was doing, working, writing, pushing, performing. The way I experienced my spirituality was through my own effort. Even now, as I write that, I can see a myriad of problems with that way of living, and I experience them acutely. Exhaustion, isolation, numbness, profound inability to connect with God when I wasn't wearing myself out in his name. On the path back to connection, to prayer as a relationship, to a spiritual life that felt more like life, I met Felina. She taught me about centering prayer and invited me to practice it. And then Shauna goes on to say, I'm so profoundly thankful for this wise and honest guide. So I just want to thank you, for Felina, for being our guide today. And actually, as I'm reading those words, I just kind of well up with a little bit of emotion of the, the profound impact that you are having on people's lives by sharing this practice with them. So what, I, what I'd love for us to start out with uh, in this conversation is just describing even what contemplative spirituality is for our listeners. Yeah, 
Sure thing. Yeah. For, for a lot of folks, they might um, not, not be familiar with, with contemplative spirituality and that kind of language. Uh, some people uh, speak of it as contemplative. Um, the, the thing about contemplative spirituality is that it's rooted in our Christian tradition. It's um, as, as old as, um, as our scriptures, but um, it's been sidelined over the centuries, and uh, we are in the midst of a, a real awakening to this aspect of the faith. So contemplative spirituality is really about seeing. The Latin word for contemplation really is about seeing, observing. Uh, And so with contemplative spirituality, we are engaging in the invitation to wake up to our life and to see with new eyes, which I just love because in the Gospels, Jesus was often restoring sight to the blind. And I think in our in our time, this is something that many of us are needing. Like we need we need our sight restored. We need to be able to see. We're we're living um, lives in which we're we're often unconscious and asleep. And contemplative spirituality helps us wake up and helps us to really observe what's happening in our life kind of under the surface of life so that we can get to the unconscious motivations and limiting beliefs that are influencing really every aspect of our life. Yeah. So what would you say are, what are some of the practices of, of the contemplative practice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So contemplative So when we talk about contemplative spirituality, we're talking about a way of seeing, and we need practices to help us see. So in that way, um, prayer becomes a practice, becomes something that we, uh, over time, become disciplined with. Rather than a conversational kind of prayer, um, we're talking about practices or disciplines that help us see. So contemplative um, practice or contemplative prayer is marked by solitude, silence, and stillness. And these three aspects, I think, are really critical for our time because if you think about it, how hard it is for most of us to get any time alone, um, to get any sense of quiet, and, um, and to sit still, are you kidding me? Mm. Like most of us really have a hard time being still. Mm. Uh, but these are the antidotes to our sickness, which is um, leading to exhaustion, stress, uh, and, and then that often leads to numbing out, right? Um, take, like choose your drug if it's social media. Yeah, just like nonstop scrolling through social media or the internet, if it's, um, you know, binging on series, if it's, uh, in other cases, chemical um, addictions, right, to numb out um, just one more glass of wine in the evening or, you know, whatever it is. We have these coping mechanisms uh, to deal with um, really the dissatisfaction, discontentment, and disheartening that we're experiencing in our life. Um, and those coping mechanisms, you know, at the end of the day, they're not working. Um, we're still asleep, unconscious, and unhappy. Um, contemplative practice then becomes a way to really deal with um, with our harried lives. So solitude, silence, and stillness are critical um, in response to um, our addictions and our busyness and um, those kinds of things. In solitude, 
we uh, we learn how to really be present. So by withdrawing from our normal life and activity, and in some cases, you know, withdrawing for a period of time from other people, although you can do these practices together as a group. At any case to some degree of interior solitude, withdrawing, we actually develop the capacity to be more present to ourself, to God, and to one another. In silence, by getting quiet, um, we, we develop this capacity to really listen. Hmm. So to listen to ourselves, to God, and ultimately to others. And then as we take time for stillness, we're developing this, this capacity really for restraint and discernment so that we can, instead of just like reacting to life, we can really respond to life from our truest self, our highest self. Uh, and if you think about it, you know, how often are we just in a cycle of reaction? Mm. So... Yeah, no, that's good. And I'm I'm imagining some people listening are squirming and thinking, oh, my goodness, (laughs) how do do I how do we even go about this? And how do we know that we're practicing a solitude and silence and stillness that is actually um, helping us rather than just sitting there do you know what I mean where, where someone might say yeah. okay so I'm uh, it's silent in this room there I'm by myself there's solitude I'm being still how do I know it's working like a, how, yeah. how, how would you respond to that yeah that's great well there are a number of contemplative prayer practices in our tradition that help us to be in the silence so this is the challenge. I mean, practicing solitude, silence, and stillness is difficult for most of us. Um, we resist it uh, because ultimately we are self-protecting by keeping busy, harried, and stressed. Um, we're self-protecting from something very tender and vulnerable within us that needs to be looked at, that needs to be embraced. But um, but oftentimes it's it's a little painful it's a little hard uh, and so we don't want to go there um, and that's why we need solitude silence and stillness so that we can have the eyes to see what's going on under the surface you know why am I um, why am I filling my life up with too many things that I can't keep up with what's the unconscious motivation there what's happening there and so we need practices that help us actually be in the solitude silence and stillness um, otherwise, for most of us, we'll just find it too difficult, too, too painful, um, and we may just opt out and, and get distracted with other things. Um, so on our website at gravitycenter.com, if listeners are interested, they can find a pull-down menu called Practices, and there are a number of um, practices that people can look at and learn about and, um, and, and consider adopting. But I think today I'll just mention one, which is... My favorite, and Shauna mentioned it in her in what you read in the foreword. Mm-hmm. So, centering prayer is a practice of being in the solitude, silence, and stillness. And what this is is a non-conceptual prayer practice, meaning um, it's not about um, thinking with the rational intellectual mind, but it's simply a practice of letting go and surrendering. And ultimately, um, from a Christian perspective, it's really about resting in God, learning how to rest in God. Uh, even in, I think, what Shauna was reflecting on, if you think about about it, 
in, mo- in a lot of people's lives as, as Christians, uh, even the prayer time, the devotional time, is a lot of doing. Hmm. And, uh, and we don't know how to be in prayer. Uh, centering prayer helps us learn how to be, how to rest in God. And I think it's really appealing to a lot of us because we are so tired. Life is so full and busy and we're overstimulated. And so in centering prayer, um, this method helps us to just learn how to be in the in the silence and solitude stillness. So if it's helpful, I can go over the method. It's, it's pretty simple. There's three steps to yeah, it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so... Okay, so if you want to try to engage in a centering prayer practice, the first step is to assume a posture that will allow you to be grounded and upright. So if you can imagine you're uh, preparing to to give your undivided attention to the presence of God. And so you want to sit in a way that, you know, body language communicates everything. So maybe both feet on the floor, if you're in a chair or in perhaps a cross-legged position, these positions help you to be pretty grounded. You might want to roll the shoulders back as a way of supporting the heart and, um, and aiding the opening of the heart. And then you choose a sacred symbol as And this is the most critical part of the entire practice. So try to stay with me and really pay attention to this. You want want to choose a sacred symbol as your symbol to consent to the presence and action of God within you. That's it. So it's not about meditating on the symbol. It's It's simply a symbol that helps you continually return to giving your undivided attention to God. It's a symbol that helps you say yes to God, to consent. And then you might set a timer. There's some great apps that help, that give you like a nice kind of sounding tone. uh, So you're not like using an alarm clock or something, but you set your time and um, you want to work up to 20 minutes sit, um, but take your time with that, work up to that over time. You set your time and then you go into the silence and you're all alone, and you're sitting still, (laughs) and inevitably, the thoughts come, the distractions come, and you think about all the things you got to do today, and you think about, you know, different different interactions you've had with different people in your life, and any number of thoughts come up, and a thought can be um, a sensation in the body, it can be a feeling, or it could be, you know, just the dialogue in your head. Now, this is where people usually give up because they're experiencing so much inner noise and distraction. It doesn't feel anything like silence, Mm. doesn't feel like solitude. It's like really crowded inside and it's almost impossible to sit still because there's so many things that are vying for our attention. And most people give up at that point. They think, I can't do this. This isn't for me. No, this is exactly for you. And and all that inner noise is an indication of how much you really need a practice like this. And so at that point, when you notice yourself getting caught up in sensations, in feelings, in thoughts, you just simply bring to mind that sacred symbol and um, as a way of redirecting your attention. So I'm not going to, you're just kind of saying in that moment, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to return 
to this undivided attention to God. And that sacred symbol could be anything. It could be a word, mm-hmm. like a word for God um, that is meaningful to you, or um, it could be an attribute of God, like love or peace. It could be uh, an intention, like like a word that signifies your intention to be here in this moment. Um, you could use a couple of words, like some people really like um, let go as an, as um, as a sacred symbol. Others like the uh, Aramaic term mar- Maranatha, meaning come Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. The point is that you don't want it to be um, more than really two words because you want to keep it really simple um, so that you don't get too caught up in, in what in the words or so it could if you're more visual it could be an image like some kind of a sacred image that you're really drawn to that could signify your intention to consent to God's presence and action or if you like you could just keep it really simple and just use the breath mindful breath returning to conscious breath as your symbol and the point is that symbol is, is, is just an anchor for you to come back to the present moment, to come back to that undivided attention with God. And then um, you just return to that symbol however many times you find yourself getting caught up in your sensations, feelings, and thoughts until the practice period is over. Now, people will try this and they'll feel like they didn't experience anything, they'll be discouraged because there's so much inner noise, and they'll give it up. But this is really important, too. So if you only remember a couple of things, remember that your symbol is your symbol to consent to God's presence and action in your life in, in, your, in, in that time, just saying yes. And then the other thing you want to really make sure you remember is that you don't look for an experience in this type of prayer. The fruit of this prayer isn't found in the prayer practice. It's found in your daily life. So that essentially you're building up muscle memory in your practice to to be able in your active life to be able to, to, to discern God's presence and action and to say yes to God's presence and action in your daily life. Hmm. That's good. I, you know, the thing I'm thinking about here is um, <laughs> the very reason we might want to bail is the very reason that, as you said, this practice is so transformative because we're such a culture of, oh, I didn't hear from God the way I wanted to, or that experience wasn't what I thought it would be. And then we bail on it rather than really developing this ability over time. And I, I'm recalling to mind when I first started learning about kind of the stillness, the contemplative, I was it was recommended to start for, with five minutes and then to build up to 10 minutes. And I just remember I would, I would set my alarm and literally like with one eye peek open two minutes in and I was like, isn't this up yet? Hasn't it been five minutes? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I would blow past five and get to, t- but on my way to 10, like one eye would pop open. I'm like, am sure. I done yet? And then eventually you get to 20 minutes. Um, but yeah. but as you said, it's, it's not something we can just oh do once or twice and we think, you know, we think we've mastered. I mean, this is a lifelong practice, right? That's, that's right. And really, um, those who teach Centering Prayer recommend to work up to two periods of 20 minutes a day. And a lot of people are just so you know, afraid of that. They just, they don't think they can do it. Like you've experienced, it can be really hard in the beginning. So you take time, you work up to it. But the point of 
a minimum of 20 minutes two times a day as the ideal is because we need to, it takes so much time to, to build up interior solitude, silence, and stillness um, in such a way that God can, can really get to us, if you, if you will. It's like we have all these defense mechanisms internally inside, and those need to come to rest and then that's when the real work happens. So this is a prayer of really opening the mind and the heart to transformation. Um, Paul wrote about it, the Apostle Paul, um, in terms of like putting on the mind of Christ and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is, this is contemplative prayer. This is why we need practices that open us to that possibility that we can actually live into the mind of Christ and, and be um, transformed by the renewing of our mind. What are some ways for someone like me who my thing is, am I getting it right? Am I getting it right? Not that there is a right or wrong, but yeah. what would you say to someone? What, what would be some outcomes that ideally we experience as a result of this practice? Mm. It, like for people in general or people like you that are well either <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh, a part of my work is also spiritual direction um where we could we could have a lot of fun you can work on me with that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh so yeah we'll try not to get too terribly personal here but um and uh, yeah so what are the outcomes um I mean, for some, and you're not alone. I mean, there are a lot of people who, who are concerned about doing it right um, in, in all areas of life. Um, for someone like that, if you give yourself to this type of practice, and I mean a daily practice over time, then you'll see results like um, just like an inner freedom to not have to be monitoring life through that filter of, am I getting it right? which creates a lot of anxiety uh, for us when we're concerned about, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? And this is the thing. So many of us are, um, are expelling a lot of interior energy, managing life, managing how other people see us, managing what we're producing, managing um, what we have. And... Um, and when we give ourselves to a practice like this over time, we experience a freedom from that inner exhaustion at trying to control and manage life. And, and that frees up a lot of energy then to be at service um, to God and others. Uh, and so, I mean, things like, okay, for me, let me just talk about me for yeah. example. Um, I began waking up to the fact that I was really attached to what other people thought about me or what I thought they thought about me mm. or what they said about me. Now, for you know, most of my life, I was asleep to that reality. Um, it wasn't until I began, it wasn't until contemplative prayer. And, and then I began to wake up to this unconscious motivation and attachment that I realized, oh my gosh, like so much of my interior life and energy, my thoughts, my feelings, all of that was, um, 
was caught up in managing what other people thought about me or said about me or what they wanted from me, what their expectations were. That um, secretly influenced so many decisions in my life. So when I woke up to this, um, it was pretty eye-opening and a little devastating. Underneath that, you know, was this uh, limiting belief and um, kind of inner wound that I didn't know if I was really loved and wanted for me, mm. or if you know, if I if to get the love and belonging that I needed meant that I had to, you know, cater to everyone else. Uh, and so those kinds of things began to surface. And this is the, this is the scene that I'm talking about, you know, seeing what's going on underneath the surface. And then through, um, contemplative prayer, opening really to the grace and, and inner work of God, God's presence and action within me, um, freed me. I'm not kidding. Like I am mm. so different from how I used to be. I would have never done things like, get certified as a yoga teacher, for example, <laughs> or write a book and put myself out there like that to be judged. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of mean people mm. out there that put their you know thoughts on the internet about me. Mm. I, you know, before I would have sheltered myself from that kind of, um, you know, critique and judgment. Uh, I would have never started gravity. Um, so I've been really freed up from those kinds of, um, inner motivations and like unconscious motivations and attachments that really prevented me from living more into the fullness of who God created me to be just like what you're so passionate about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. And I can completely resonate with you. And I don't think I've experienced quite the level of breakthrough you have on the, the fear of what other people think, but it, it is so super limiting and just really squashes our voice and the, the you know, the voice that God has, has created us to have in the world because we're always assessing, oh my gosh, that's right. you know, will I still be loved? What will people think? It's like this yeah. very tiring self-management, so to speak. That's right. Right. And when we can begin to open to God's uh, healing of that, and it's like a disordered, dis, like Ignatius of Loyola would say, it's a disordered attachment. And contemplative prayer helps to order this inner story, this inner narrative, and um, and then we become more aligned with the will of God, like Jesus was, you know, and um, being able to really discern, this is my task. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm to do. And regardless of how other people see me or regardless of what I end up uh how successful I am or what I end up acquiring I, you know, just this freedom to like be aligned with the energy of God and the flow of God in my life and just get about, you know, as Jesus would say, my father's business, you know, let's just get on with it. Like, wouldn't that be a great way to live? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So as I'm thinking about this, then as we practice a contemplative prayer, and over time, we gain more comfort in that stillness and the voices that just rushed in early on start to calm themselves. And, you know, we, we work through the emotional and mental chatter and clutter is, is really 
the uh, thing that happens where we're then able to like hear as God's word says his still small voice in those moments of silence because the internal chatter has quieted and the external chatter we've removed ourselves from it so we're really able to since we have the Holy Spirit living in us like be present to God's voice in, in the spirit or is that yeah so this is I'm so glad you're asking this because this is the other really difficult aspect of um, adjusting to a practice like centering prayer is that um, as we do the practice, we're not trying to hear from God. Hmm. Uh, So this is why it's called a non-conceptual prayer practice. Um, We are not to pay attention and get caught up in what we're hearing or what we're feeling, even if it's good. Okay. So my teacher, Thomas Keating, is a Cistercian monk. Uh, he's in his 90s now. He's like, he reminds me of Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. He's just <laughs> this tall, lanky, wise old man. He wears his, his Trappist robes, and he's just incredible. He's just a gentle giant. And he's the one who introduced me to the Christian contemplative tradition and the practice of centering prayer. He, um, he, he's been known when he's teaching this to say, Okay, now mind you, he's Catholic, right? So he says, uh, now even if the Mother Mary herself shows up in my prayer practice, and you know, and I think she's trying to tell me something, I I don't I don't give it attention. I let it go, because and I say to her, not now, Mother Mary. I'm doing my centering prayer practice. Oh, <laughs> and he says, because if it's truly from God. It will come back to you after you're sit because you have made an intention with God during that practice to let go. Hmm. It's like, I mean, this is a serious practice, okay? This is like going into surgery. I am letting go to that degree. And Thomas um, Keating, he uses the term uh, divine therapy. That's what we're opening to. And so in the practice itself, it's so different from any other way we've been taught to pray. Um, It's a radical prayer of surrender. Now then, so then what's the point? The point is that it's not about hearing in those moments. It's about, um, it's like, about letting our ears be operated on so that in our active life, we can hear God and we'll know God. Does that make sense? It makes sense. What I'm thinking about is so it, it, because some, some Christians might say, well, we should always be focusing on God. We, you know, we shouldn't be emptying our minds. We should, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, I know, I'm, I know. I'm wrestling with that a little bit. If I'm not, if I'm not, well, we are focusing on God, but I'm trying to get the discernment or the distinction between like, I'm here to be still and in uh-huh. God's presence. And I'm here to hear from God. If I'm not here to hear from God, like, what am I here for? Am I making sense? I, I know totally. Yeah. This is a big hang up that we have. So, um, so first of all, it, it's not about emptying the mind and it's about, because the mind's going to do what the mind's going to do. Like the mind has thoughts, like the heart has heartbeats. So that's going to go on. The difference is that we're not going to, in that time, we're not going to entertain those thoughts. And, um, 
I'm trying to think what the other thing that you were saying about um, the concern that people have. Oh, like if I'm not thinking about God, if I'm not actively engaging God, see, all of that is through the conceptual mind, the rational thinking mind, and the even the feelings and all of that are act, activated. And, and that's a great way to relate and connect to God. But that way of praying will get a different result than the non-conceptual way of resting in God. Be still and know that I am God. That's it. Just be still and know that I am God. And it's, it's, it's about getting to, um, to the depths of who we are uh, that can't be reached by the rational mind. And this is the thing, like, I know some Christians are really wary of this type of prayer because they think it's going to like open themselves up to something demonic or Mm. evil or whatever. And it's like, that just really points to our lack of trust in God. I mean, when the lights completely go out at the end of our life, at our death, I mean, should we be afraid that, you know, we're going to plummet into darkness? Does God not have us at that point? So why can God not have us in a sit where we're intending to let go of control? And that's the thing, like the mind is about control, being in control. So even in our prayers, we like to be in control through our thoughts or through our feelings or something. And so this way of prayer is is really getting to the root of of our will to be in control and like how much do we really trust God? Does God have us? Like if we're going to make an intention, my husband says, God's not a punk. Like if you're making the intention to show up and be present to God, you think God's going to like abandon you and like turn you over to darkness, Mm. you know? Well, the thing that comes to mind, tell me if I'm getting it, is that so like you and your husband, I'm sure you can sit in each other's presence and you don't even have to say a word, but you like you you get being with one another. I'm almost thinking of it as, you know, sitting in the solitude and silence. I'm not striving to get an answer for God. I'm not striving. I'm just I'm I'm being with him. I'm like exactly. like two people who love one another are in the same space and don't have to speak, but they experience the connectedness, the closeness, the love. Is that does exactly. that Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't have to be for you right now, God. I don't have to do for you. Like I can, Mm -hmm. I can be in this space with you and just experience the connection because I'm not striving for an answer. I'm not striving to get it right. I'm not, you know, I'm not, um, you know, having all these distractions deter me. So it is, I mean, it is so foreign because our society does tell us like, do, do, do. And even, you know, so to, to be, to be silent may seem unproductive, but it's, again, it's the art or the practice of like, like being with God rather than doing for God. Exactly. And you got it. it. That's exactly it. Yeah. And then the other thing, the other quote that comes to mind uh, for me, have you heard the quote, I'm sure from Henry Nouwen, where he says, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah I love exactly. that. <laughs> and that's the thing, you know, and we don't, we don't really come to appreciate a practice like this until we recognize that we really do need to be transformed. Right. Right. Um, so we've come to the limits of ourself. And that's why when I show up to in a centering prayer practice, I'm, I'm 
I have this just kind of like this internal prayer that's in my bones and in my blood and in the cells of my being that is saying, please do for me what I cannot do for myself. You know, I can't live in to the ideal teachings of Jesus to forgive 70 times seven. You know, like I've been really challenged with that in my life. Like the people that have hurt me and betrayed me and in some cases over, you know, more than once, like somebody hurting me, you know, like a a few times. It's like, how many times am I supposed to forgive? Like, really? You know, Hmm. I can't do that. God do for me what I cannot do for myself. Love my enemies. Are you serious? Like, Hmm. have you ever tried that? Like, it's not, (laughs) most of us can't do it, you know? And it's like, when I show up to pray in this way, I'm, I'm asking God to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Like live your life through me, Jesus, because I, I recognize that I, in my human nature, I don't have the capacity to love and forgive and, and heal and all these things that, that you say is our birthright, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Well, wow. We have uh, come to the end of our time and goodness, there's so many other things that we can talk about and in your book. And uh, again, listeners, I highly recommend Pilgrimage of the Soul, Contemplative Spirituality for the Act of Life. In your book, you name seven movements towards this transformative contemplative journey, awakening, longing, darkness, death, transformation, intimacy, and union. So listeners, you're going to have to have your your curiosity peak to see what all those mean. But I will say, and you've, you've used the word awaken or awakening a handful of times. And one of the questions in your reflection parts of your book that you raise as it relates to awakening, you say the spiritual journey begins by waking up, but it's too easy to stay asleep. Ignorance is bliss. So instead of waking up to the gift of our life, we all too easily numb out with the help of digital distractions and addictions to food, alcohol, and other substances or habits and what ways have you been numbing out and what I hear you saying is the contemplative prayer is a way of awakening and to stop numbing ourselves and to stop the distractions and addictions that so easily detract us from what Jesus said I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullness in him excellent yes yeah, that's awesome. You are amazing. Thank you so much for being our wise guide today, Felina. Thanks for having me, Lisa. It's been really great to talk with you. It's been so great. And hey, listeners, super grateful for you. As always, I am standing for you to live fully into who you were created to be and to play full out as we journey together because we want to, to not only live the life that Jesus called us to live, but in doing that, we really make a contribution to the world. And so I encourage you to re-listen to this podcast a couple of times as Felina had walked us through a session on how we can do contemplative prayer. And you know what? Give it a shot and see what God has in store. Well, good to be with you again. And you guys will see you next time on the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. 